Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Today we're going to look at COVID-19 and its possible relationship to a long-standing and terrible disease that we have touched on on this program from time to time, myalgic encephalomyelitis, known more commonly as chronic fatigue syndrome. The two have a lot of symptoms in common. The long haulers, those who do not recover fully, tend to have many of the same indications that people suffering from ME do. My guest today is Ovid Amatai, who is the CEO of the Solve ME CFS initiative. He's a pharmacologist who has been the CEO of this very important charity for uh, a little over, what, about eight, nine months. Welcome to the broadcast, Ovid. Thank you. Uh, explain, first of all, what we know about myalgic encephalomyelitis, and maybe as a second, why we know so little. Yes, well, it's a great, it's a great question. I'll start by, by saying that both names, myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is more difficult to pronounce, and chronic fatigue syndrome, which is easier to pronounce, but both are probably uh, not doing a very good job at helping us understand what this disease is all about. So maybe I'll just take a moment to, to describe what's behind those, uh, those names. So clearly uh, fatigue is one of the main, uh, the main symptoms of, uh, of this disease, but this is not a fatigue that would be addressed by um, you know, a refreshing rest or sleep. Um, what we're talking about is a profound exhaustion that very often is triggered by some sort of exertion. So the other uh, symptoms that, uh, that we talk about is uh, what's known as post-exertion malaise, which is really just a, a different way of saying that uh, any type of activity that uh, is a little outside of, uh, of what's uh, normal for that person would lead to, uh, to really a depletion of energy. So, so this is not uh, kind of the, the just getting tired. This is something that people experience uh, usually throughout uh, their lives. Um, and it is also accompanied um, uh, very often by um, uh, some kind of, uh, of a impairment on, 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 the, on cognition. Uh, for instance, it could be uh, difficulties to concentrate, uh, difficulties in memories and, uh, and things of that nature. So all of those symptoms and very often many other uh, aspects, uh, including sleep uh, disturbances, um, they really uh, are the, uh, the hallmarks of, uh, of the disease. So as, as you, can, uh, you can probably understand from this description, it is quite difficult to, uh, to, to put a complete diagnosis. Um, and it's not easy to, uh, to do that. This is uh, this kind of, uh, of disease has been, has been seen for, for a long, long time, very often after um, viral outbreaks. What are you recommending now? How do we study long haul COVID? And what do we learn from chronic fatigue syndrome that can be applied? Is this, are they both diseases of the immune system? Yes, so uh, th this, is, uh, this is one of the, the most fundamental questions. And uh, so we know that, uh, as I said, that myalgic encephalomyelitis or chronic fatigue syndrome could often be triggered uh, by an infection, very often a viral infection, but not always. Uh, there could be other, other reasons. 
But the reason that uh, COVID-19 uh, presents such a, um, well, I was going to say opportunity, um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult word to use because this pandemic has been so tragic for so many people. But from a, uh, from a research perspective, this is a unique uh, opportunity for us to study uh, what happens. What ha happens when a viral infection um, uh, triggers an immune response and I think as you suggested, uh, this is probably uh, one of the very first steps to understand what goes wrong. Uh, there is something about the immune response in some people that uh, for uh, reasons that are not fully understood, um, does, not does not subside after the infection uh, is cleared. And it seems like uh, people continue to, uh, to fight the infection, although we can't always uh, find uh, COVID-19 or other viruses there anymore. So this is the time for us to really uh, look at the immune response of people as they either recover or not. Um, and I believe that that will really hold the clues to uh, this uh, mysterious disease that has been uh, eluding us, uh, us for, so many, uh, for so many years. What is the role of government in this research? Um, um, ME, or short form for myalgic encephalomyelitis, has been with us for a long time. And it became very prominent and very, we became aware of it in the middle 1980s with an outbreak in Nevada and an outbreak in New York State, which had all the symptoms of, a, of a, a, something very contagious, but it turned out not to be except the people directly involved in the, in the hundreds uh, have been ill essentially ever since. Um, but not a lot of government research went on. It was very modestly funded, funded about $5 million a year, some years. Um, now we're going to get a lot more government money. How is that going to be directed? Are they going to look only at the COVID-19 patients? And are you going to be trying to get scraps from that table, or are you going to be at that table? That is, uh, that is very, very important. And, uh, you know, starting uh, with, with the past, I think that uh, we should learn from the past. And, uh, and certainly in other outbreaks, uh, there has not been a lot of uh, focused research. Uh, and frankly, uh, like many other aspects uh, that COVID-19 exposed uh, in our, you know, the deficiencies in our healthcare system, this is one of them. Uh, if we had paid uh, more attention in the past and if we had done the kind of, of research to understand post-viral diseases, um, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that we would have been better prepared for, for this pandemic. Um, but we are where we are. And I think that now there is uh, the will, there are the resources, and, uh, and certainly we have the scientific tools uh, to study uh, COVID-19 uh, the money has been allocated by Congress at the end of the uh, year, uh, specifically to the NIH. Uh, so there is $1.15 billion uh, for long COVID uh, uh, research, which the NIH is now directing. And uh, I think that uh, everyone understands uh, that there is a lot of history. Uh, MECFS, other diseases could, very, uh, could be very helpful. Um, in looking at the right questions with regards to, uh, to COVID-19. So there has to be a concerted effort. Um, we are at the table. We're going to continue uh, to be, uh, to be at, at the table and to advocate uh, for the kind of, uh, of a broader um, uh, research into these questions. 
we cannot ignore what has been uh, done in the past. And uh, frankly, if we do it correctly, it will benefit probably not only uh, long COVID and MECFS, um, but other diseases as well, uh, such as dysautonomia, uh, potentially uh, um, other diseases that were also uh, not fully understood until now. Can we think of these diseases as being orphan diseases or are these mainstream diseases? Why have they received so little attention and yet their impact, the, the, the diseases that come under the umbrella of MECFS and now uh, COVID-19, but historically these diseases have received very little attention and yet the impact though not uh, producing immediate fatalities has been a life sentence of suffering, of unbelievable deprivation of these terrible symptoms from the inability to spell a simple word to the inability to get a good night's sleep, sleep that doesn't refresh pain. And of course, as I have been covering this for a, a decade now, I know very well people cannot do anything without a relapse, without getting sick again going out to dinner, watching a movie, uh, something like that. Uh, how is it that this has been so ignored? Um, now, of course, we hope with COVID it will not be ignored anymore. But how is that, Ovid? So uh, orphan diseases in the US uh, have a legal definition. So a disease is orphan if the population is less than 200,000 people. Um, so I, I think that, unfor unfortunately, the MECFS community is larger than that. Uh, probably not everyone is diagnosed correctly, uh, but the, from a sheer perspective of the epidemiology of the numbers, uh, this is not an orphan disease. But what uh, this disease is very, uh, very similar to orphan diseases is in the sense that it is very, uh, very difficult to diagnose it. Um, it is poorly understood. Um, it's been ignored uh, almost entirely. Um, by not only the, uh, the mainstream uh, medical um, uh, community, uh, but also by, by industry. And so all those reasons make it very, uh, very they, they, it, it makes it very similar uh, to orphan diseases. And we need to understand the natural history of the disease uh, better before we can, uh, we can treat that. So again, with COVID, I think, it, and, and the attention uh, that is now given, uh, unfortunately, because of the, uh, the, the large numbers of people getting infected and more and more people uh, that do not go back to where they were before. Uh, I think now uh, it is very clear that this is something that we all need to, uh, to put the right resources uh, to study and figure out. Um, the economical uh, impact of, of MECFS has been estimated before COVID to be in the, uh, in the range of $50 billion a year. So this is, uh, this is, these are very, uh, very large numbers and uh, we're looking potentially at doubling the number of people affected uh, by this kind of a condition due to COVID. So the economical burden is, uh, is staggering. And of course the personal pain that you described so well um, uh, must, must lead to, uh, to very, uh, a very pur purposeful actions um, from, the, uh, from the entire community, the government and industry. Tell me please something about the organization you head, its mission, uh, how it's structured, how it's funded and what it seeks. Uh, uh, 
going forward? Yes, yeah, so SOLF was, uh, uh, was originally uh, created as a patient support group. At the time where there was very little known and uh, the disease didn't really even have a name. Um, and over the years, uh, we've, uh, we've focused primarily on advocacy at the federal level uh, to, uh, uh, to dedicate more, uh, more funding uh, for MECFS research. Um, and to support uh, uh, researchers and, uh, and research opportunities uh, through uh, our organization uh, that we do, primarily by raising, uh, raising money by donations. Uh, so we're fully supported by the community. And, uh, and we use, the, um, we use the, the funding that we do have um, both to try and, uh, and attract uh, researchers to come to this field uh, which, as you said, uh, was, not, uh, was not very active. Um, and we'd like to encourage people to apply their scientific knowledge and, uh, and skill set and, uh, and join this community. Um, and, by also, and also by providing uh, research tools such as a registry, uh, which is really uh, the idea that uh, we can create a large database. Um, you know, and, and big data could be used uh, to identify patterns, potential uh, triggers uh, and targets uh, for, uh, for treatment. So, uh, so these are the kind of things that we're, uh, we're involved in. We are a small organization uh, in a, uh, in a, facing a challenge that is, uh, that is field-wide. So uh, uh, it's, uh, it, it's certainly bigger than what one organization uh, can do, uh, but we're really committed to work with others uh, to make a difference. And you're based in Los Angeles. The organization is based in Los Angeles. Uh, and of course, uh, now most of us are uh, unfortunately uh, working, uh, working remotely, which uh, actually does open the possibility of, uh, of collaborating with people, uh, not only across the US, but, but around the world. Uh, I think you know, COVID does, uh, does create some opportunities that we did not have before. What about the, the motivation of the pharmaceutical industry, big pharma as we call it, is it always motivated only by a profit goal? Is it always looking for a pill that can become very profitable and very effective? Uh, I've heard them criticized, of course, they're getting some praise at the moment because the speed with which they've developed vaccines for COVID, but over the years they've been criticized for being financially driven without a regard to the larger issues of medicine and public health. You know, I think that uh, to a certain extent that criticism uh, is, is obviously justified. These are uh, for-profit organizations and so they, they have their motivations. But, but I, I don't think that this is really the reason that they didn't enter MECFS uh, up until this point. I think that uh, this is clearly a, a, large, uh, a large need and therefore uh, there's a potential to, uh, to, to have, uh, to, for this to become a, uh, you know, a valuable uh, proposition from, uh, from that perspective. I think that the reasons were uh, mostly uh, not being able to understand the disease. And so I think that uh, industry was not, was not involved, not so much because of, of financial concerns, but just because of the inability to, uh, to describe um, the patient population and to, to describe the disease in such a way that they could study it and, and develop, uh, develop treatments. And uh, these are the kind of things that now I think uh, were, were changing 
Um, and as I said before, COVID-19 potentially could be uh, the time where we uh, finally uh, understand you know, immune changes and other, other aspects that have a direct link to, uh, to targets. In other words, those specific things that we can develop uh, therapies um, against. And uh, so I think that uh, it's not just the financial aspect, it's, uh, it's the way to conduct studies. And I think that now we're, uh, we're in, uh, we could be in a, very, in a very different place. You used to be a researcher to work at the bench, developing compounds, medicines. How do you find the difference between doing that and uh, being an administrator, which is essentially what you are now? Yeah, well, it's 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 certainly uh, this is uh, this is a big uh, big big difference, and uh, being in a uh, in the nonprofit environment is is clearly uh, quite different. Um, but I think that uh, uh, the sense of urgency uh, for, for me stays the same, and I felt that uh, when I knew that I was working towards a particular uh, uh, therapy. Uh, for one disease, um, and and I feel that now, uh, especially when uh, when you talk to uh, to people who are affected by uh, by MECFS, and by the way, uh, long COVID as well, and you hear the challenges, and you hear how it affects people's lives, and uh, so ultimately the motivation remains the same. This uh, disease will be resolved. Both of these diseases we're discussing that seem to have a lot in common will be resolved in due time by young people who are in the universities now who are just beginning their careers as doctors, clinicians, and as researchers. Uh, what should we be teaching in the universities? ME has never had a place in the curriculum. It simply hasn't been taught at medical schools. I know that from my own reporting. Uh, now, presumably, because of COVID, it will be taught if the two are linked together in medical schools. But how do we attract these young minds into research and not into practicing medicine in, hmm. in some pleasant location? <laughs> well, I think that the, uh, the, the most important thing is, and I think that the younger generation does that probably better than, uh, than we do, which is to, uh, to really listen to listen to, uh, to what people describe as their experience with the disease. And uh, very often the clues are there. Uh, we just often uh, are too close-minded to, uh, to really listen to, uh, to what people tell us about, uh, about their health. Um, and I think that the, uh, the younger generation uh, does that better. Uh, social media does have a way of exposing uh, things that uh, were you know, dismissed uh, in the past but you begin to, uh, to hear that from, uh, from more and more people and all of a sudden you start to pay attention to that. So I think that uh, for younger, uh, younger people who are going into, uh, into research now, uh, the ability to identify uh, um, things like MECFS, which really are experienced uh, differently by different people. But if they listen, they will find uh, those common, common elements that will lead them to, uh, to some um, ideas about what to look for from a research perspective. So I think that uh, there's a potential that a younger, uh, a younger and fresh, uh, fresh look at things uh, could really make, uh, make a difference. And uh, the challenges are, are great and they're not, getting, uh, um, they're not getting any easier. In my decade of broadcasting and writing about ME-CFS, uh, 
I've been struck by the fact that the only people I see either in my reporting and in my interviewing and attending conferences, meetings, etc., are people who look like me, white people. And yet we know that that cannot be. It cannot be that this is a disease of only uh, people of, of my color, your color, that this must be a terrible suffering uh, in communities, minority communities, which have very poor health care to begin with. And that's one thing COVID has, COVID has pointed out, how poor the health care is. How are we going to reach into those communities and find not only this disease, but the other orphan disease lurking in the Black community and the Hispanic community and other communities of color? MECFS in itself uh, is a disease that has a lot of a lot of stigma, and so uh, I'm I'm convinced that uh, all the, uh, the the biases, um, the um, uh, the inequity uh, that we have in our system really lead to the phenomenon you just described, which is that we have so few um, uh, people with uh, with MECFS or uh, people uh, of color. And uh, that's something that uh, we're, uh, we must change now. This is the time to reimagine a different, uh, different healthcare system and really work with um, other organizations, um, other people who could really uh, increase access to, to diagnosis. Uh, we should be much more open uh, to talk about, about the fact that um, uh, this, is, uh, this is an historical wrong that we need to, uh, that we need to change. I, you know, MECFS seems to be more prevalent uh, in, in, in women. And, and I do think that that is probably a, uh, um, you know, th there is a biological reason for that. We see that both uh, in MECFS, we begin to see that now uh, in long COVID, but I don't believe that uh, the, uh, the ethnic or, or racial uh, demographics are, are real. I think that these are just a reflection of, of all, all that's wrong in, in our healthcare system. So these are the kind of things that we need to, uh, to work uh, right now. Uh, remove the stigma that's associated with, uh, with MECFS. Um, you know, being, uh, being fatigued uh, is something that uh, um, definitely leads to, uh, to stigma. Those, uh, those challenges that we talked about uh, are much more difficult for anyone who's, uh, um, uh, who's a minority or, or uh, in an underserved community. So these are the kind of things that uh, COVID uh, should should really be, be a, uh, a wake up call for us, um, and you know we're we're committed to to do what we can uh, at least for for people with MECFS uh, to change that. Why do you think the big foundations, Ford foundations of that size, have been missing from the fight for ME? They simply haven't been there, although they've been a very active patient community knocking on the door, imploring uh, big organizations, uh, Rockefeller, for example, to do something to contribute money. They've done very well by other diseases. Why has there been this reluctance for myalgic encephalomyelitis? Yeah, I, I come back to, uh, to what I think is the invisibility of the disease. And uh, very often, uh, you, you know, when you talk to people with ME, they will tell you uh, that they hear very often that uh, they hear the comment, well, well, you don't look sick. 
Um, and I think that's, that's really part of it is, uh, is the fact that uh, it, is, it is invisible, it's not noticeable. Um, the challenges that people face are so profound, but they're very difficult to, uh, to really understand. Um, so I think that uh, that has been really the main reason that the, the fact that the disease is, is not easy uh, to, uh, to, to be diagnosed. Um, and, um, and it could be, uh, they could, it, it could be overlooked. Um, so um, I think, again, once, once we, can, uh, we can help with better diagnostics, with better access um, uh, to, uh, to diagnosis and treatment, this, this, will, this will change. And uh, uh, unfortunately, the, you know, the numbers, the surging numbers of people who are not recovering from, uh, from COVID uh, is the reminder perhaps that, uh, that, that, that we needed uh, to go back and, uh, and direct the kind of, uh, of funding that is needed to, um, to do the, the research, both in, in long COVID and, and in uh, MECFS. Um, do we need a total overhaul and will COVID trigger it of public health awareness in this country and of the public health systems, how it's delivered, how it's financed, uh, the research and how it's paid for the recipient? I do. I think this is the time to reimagine a different, a different system that is much more equitable, uh, one that delivers, uh, that delivers care, uh, but also that is uh, that is much more uh, receptive uh, to what people describe and what people go through, and uh, and apply the kind of uh, the kind of resources that help to mitigate uh, th those challenges. Um, this is this should have been really. Uh, uh, um, something that we could have seen in the past. But if we needed that, that, uh, that reminder, I think that COVID provided uh, plenty, of, uh, plenty of, of things for us to, uh, to think about. Um, and I hope that uh, we come out of this, uh, this crisis uh, much stronger than, than, than we were before. Otherwise, uh, I, I'm, I'm very concerned that we're gonna have to, uh, to, to live with that again. What do you think the future of research is going to be? Is it going to be all mega data? Is it going to be all artificial intelligence? Or are we still going to have uh, these magic moments where the scientist jumps up and down and shouts, Eureka, I've got it. Well, someone's still gonna to have to look at the data, at the big data and, and analyze that. And I, I suspect that we will have some Eureka moments. Um, and you know, I look forward to uh, to the one eureka moment where we get some uh, some clues as to uh, to what really is uh, the basis for MECFS, at least for some people, and uh, that we can follow uh, with uh, with very specific treatments based on uh, on those findings. Um, yeah, I think I think they're coming. They're coming uh, probably sooner than we uh, than we think. Ovid, it's a pleasure and an honor to have you on the broadcast. And I think I speak for the community uh, as well. Cheers. Thank you very much. That's our show for today. We thank you for coming along. Please, you know, relax, but uh, don't relax this. Remember this and relax this. Cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We are there.